0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and it's my great pleasure to have with me in studio right now the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Saginaw, Michigan, Bishop Robert Groose. He was installed as bishop in Rapid City, South Dakota, back in 2011, and ordained a priest back in uh, July of 1994 at the age of 39. And just this past July, he was uh, appointed uh, bishop, of Saginaw, Michigan. It's great to have you here, finally.
1: Thank you, Al. It's good to be with you.
0: <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your ordination. I mean, you're 39 years old, so you're a, what they call late-life uh, vocation.
1: P- people call me, they say I have a delayed vocation, <laughs> and, I, and I tell people there's nothing delayed about it. This was in the Lord's time. Yeah. So it yeah. might be delayed in human terms, but in eternal ways, it's uh, it's what the Lord has planned. And, and certainly, I look back at... My whole life in in that regard, and uh, yeah, I said no to the call for many years. Okay. So perhaps in that sense, it was delayed because I delayed it. Yeah. But that's hindsight, right? It's always twenty twenty. Well,
0: it's a lot easier to read the story of one's <laughs> life <laughs> after you've lived it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what were you doing before age thirty nine?
1: Well, I um, in college, I had a I got a two year uh, degree in civil engineering. I didn't do anything with that. I went to work in a factory. This was in Wisconsin. About a year and a half into that, I decided to um, get my private pilot's license. Yeah. And then I decided I I, I don't really want to spend 30 years on this assembly line. And Mm -hmm. so I quit and moved to um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I went to flying school. Yeah. And um, then I ended up flying for a living for about 10 years. Wow. Wow. Uh, Did you like it? I enjoyed it yeah. you know it was you know i started out as a flight instructor then i flew a private charter for the local um, fixed base operation at the at the airport in davenport in clinton iowa yeah. Yeah. and uh, then one of our charter customers bought an airplane and then that was that was my first gig as a corporate pilot yeah and that lasted a couple of years and you know, they fell on hard times in the 80s. They got another yeah. job. And um, I flew for a utility company for a couple of years. And it was during that time that the whole, um, I, I began, I went on a search for God, okay. you know, to be honest. And uh, he let himself be found in my life. I kind of returned to a committed life in the Catholic Church and the sacramental life of the Church. And and during that, after that time, then the whole notion of priesthood came back.
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: and so I, I it was kind of one of like the Lord is the hound of heaven, right? Yeah, and so uh, he wouldn't let me alone.
0: I see. So you, you say that voice became prominent, uh, but you recognize it from a, a past
1: uh, call. Well, my first year in college, um, so I was raised Catholic. You know, I went to Catholic schools through the eighth grade. Okay. but there was something um, even when I was in high school. There was there was something about Mass that I was just drawn into, you know, and. So it was my first year of college this this kind of thought about the priesthood entered into my level of yeah, consciousness yeah. and I thought it was the most ridiculous thought I've ever <laughs> you know I ever thought before yeah. and and it was not something I was interested you know I wanted to get married and have a family sure. my image of priest were these holy men which you know, I could, thought I could never live up to uh-huh. or be like that and and my biggest fear in life was uh, was uh, public speaking Really, and uh, <laughs> and I knew, and I knew this is what priests do every day, and I thought that's absolutely, there's absolutely no way, and so I just kind of dismissed it because it's not what it, it wasn't my will, it wasn't something that I wanted to do, so um, I just kind of brushed it off, put it out of my mind, oh. then kind of became a lazy Catholic, really in some sense for a number of years, and uh, when I found my life really questioning things and my future and so on, I realized that. I was unhappy and and broke, uh, not because I didn't have a job, but it's because of really because of a relationship with the Lord. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I think the Lord placed that in my own mind and heart. Um, it's not something that I kind of concocted myself. Right. But uh, and so then I went on a search for the Lord, wow. and uh, that led me back into a committed life in the Catholic Church, and then. You know, as I continued on with that, again, I joined a parish after getting involved. And the funny thing, I was also, during this period of time, as this whole notion of priesthood was really like, you know, like right in my face, you yeah. know. I was also contemplating getting engaged with this girl I'd been dating for a couple of years. So now I'm
0: discerning, wow. perfectly pur- <laughs>
1: discerning priesthood and marriage.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, finally, I just decided, uh, you know, the Lord kept... He kept after me, just in a a very gentle way. But
0: Mm -hmm.
1: my girlfriend and I knew that our our greatest desire in life was to do the will of God. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. uh, And so I thought, you know, I will never know. I don't want to go through the rest of my life wondering if God is calling me to the priesthood. Right. And so the only way to find out is break up with her, um, quit my flying job, go into the seminary. And because that's... You know, seminary life is a time of discernment, right, right. and so a, a real focused discernment on on the Lord's call to that particular vocation. And I knew the Lord would reveal to me if that that's not what He wanted for my life, and then then I could leave peace with peace in my heart, right. knowing that right. I, I, part- I discerned it. Yeah, I, and I could find another flying job and probably another girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like seminary? I enjoyed seminary. Yep. You know, I was like the oldest guy in my class, so. I went to seminary at the North American College in Rome, major, oh, yeah. major seminary. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, when I went there, I was 35. So that was the oldest guy in my class. Mm-hmm. It was kind of interesting being with, I'm at 35, and many of the guys were 21, <laughs>
0: right. 22.
1: Right. And, but it was, uh, it was, I enjoyed it. It was very formative for me. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but I think partially because um, I engaged it. You yeah. Know? yeah. And the Lord, when we engage a process with the Lord, and He, He recreates our hearts, I think. And that's kind of what happened to me in some sense. He recreated my heart to desire the Lord Jesus more and the desire to follow him wherever he leads me.
0: You were uh, ordained uh, at the age of, was it 39? 39. mm -hmm. Yeah. Your first parish, was it a surprise? Once you go into a parish, is it different than you expected?
1: No, it wasn't because, you know, I had been involved in parish ministry as a layman for many years yeah, uh, prior sure. to that. Um, so I kind of knew how parishes ran. I knew the programming, and I knew all of that. Um, so my first assignment, I was very excited about. It was a parish in Davenport as an associate. And um, you know you spend, I think it must have been about five and a half years in the seminary, six years in the seminary altogether. And then you just really, once you get ordained, you just... You're ready. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. want to. You just want to do the Lord's work. You want
0: to, you want to get out and there. And so
1: it was, I had a great time. It was. A, it was. I was only there three years, but it was very difficult leaving there. Some people say a lot of priests I've 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 known have said, you know, your first assignment is one you'll never forget, and oftentimes it's one of the best assignments that you've had. Really? Yeah. And huh. I can say that for myself too. Interesting. It really was yeah. a, a lot of um, really good friendships and. But it was different being a, somebody that's a little older than if I was, you know, 26 and being ordained. Yeah. You yeah. know, I have life experience, so that's all. You know, for me, that was very helpful.
0: Do people? Do you think people give you more immediate respect because you're older?
1: Um, I don't know if I don't necessarily would call it a respect thing. They um, have a sense that because you've been around the block in right. many, and in many ways, that you're more knowledgeable about life. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, from that perspective, oftentimes people will perhaps come to me versus coming to a priest that's, you know, 10 years younger. Right, right And just right. because of my life experience.
0: Did you ever imagine uh, that you'd be a bishop? Oh,
1: <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> no, actually, to be honest, I prayed that would never happen. Oh, oh that's you right. know, it's, uh You know, throughout <laughs> life, you know, throughout my priesthood, I, you know, many people come, oh, you're going to be a bishop someday, and this and that, and... I just kind of, I really just kind of brushed it off. And then as more people said that, I began to pray that it would never happen. Because it's not my, it wasn't my desire in my right. life. My right. desire was to be a parish priest um, and just serve the people of God in, in one location and be part of this community. Right. And so,
0: right.
1: you know, um, but the Lord doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want them, <laughs> as we all know.
0: Is it more difficult as a bishop or are you still able to maintain the same kind of relationships that you had as a parish priest
1: yeah i enjoy being a bishop to be honest so i'm i'm in my 8th year oh good um it's taught me a lot about myself it's taught me a lot about you know being a a, a leader in the church differently than being a parish priest and so i've enjoyed it um i've had a, in the past eight years i've had many tremendous experiences yeah but i think the biggest challenge May maybe not a challenge, and that's quite the right word, but the thing that I've, I've noticed the most is probably the most difficult. In a parish, um, as a parish priest, as a pastor, you have a community around you, yeah. a steady community around you week in and week out. As a bishop, you really don't have a yeah. community, an intimate community around you. I mean, it's the whole diocese. Yeah. And you know, when you only get out to places now and then, it's hard to... You know, so that's something that that I've missed. Yeah, as, you know, yeah. As a vision, I was I, wondering if that I've, would be the I've, case. I've missed that uh, that that weekly, that everyday community around me and those relationships. Yeah. Um, but you find those in other ways, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. the Lord provides even for that.
0: With Rapid City in South Dakota, uh, I was reading a little bit of what you accomplished there. I know you were involved with Catholic Radio, mm-hmm. and uh, that was welcome welcome news for me because. Um at the very beginning uh, of the rise of the Catholic Radio movement, uh, not every bishop was enthusiastic about what was going on. So I was really glad to hear that you got it. Um, but you you started the Veritata Splendor Institute? Uh, mm-hmm. What was that
1: about? So the Veritata Splendor Institute was a catechetical formation program for catechists for, for in our parishes. Yeah. So it's a certification program. So... There was a one-year basic certification, and then two additional years for like a master's degree type certification. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was monthly, all day Saturday. Um, and, and the whole program was set up by my um, director of um, of um, faith formation for the diocese. This is a marvelous. Woman, she was a she's a consecrated virgin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, she studied in Steubenville, uh, yeah. So she was very. Did she
0: study with Barbara Morgan there?
1: I, I don't really, yeah, I don't okay. really know. But Barbara's
0: a friend. She's okay. passed on,
1: but but yeah. she was terrific. So she's the one that really put this together. I just gave my stamp of <laughs> approval. I mean, it's her expertise and her education and so on, um, put to great use for the diocese of Rapid City, and and so um, it be, we made it a requirement for all directors. The parish directors of faith formation—it's um, mandated that they had to go through at least the basic, good, the, the, good. the one-year certification program—and we cur- encourage all people who taught religious ed in parishes to at least attend, yeah. you know, the, the one-year program. But it's been—it's been a tremendous success. And it's been—it's based on the um, the, the, four, the four pillars of formation and the and the, the program for priestly formation, the PPF. And so all of those aspects were, incorpor- were incorporated, are incorporated in the very uh, Tatus splender Institute.
0: Uh, Bishop, hold it there. We'll come back in just a moment. My guest, Bishop Robert Cruz of Saginaw, Michigan. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Bishop Robert Cruz, ordinary of the Diocese of Saginaw, Michigan. We're talking about, uh, well, his Episcopal uh, ministry he was uh, first ordained bishop in 2011 uh, in Rapid City, South Dakota. We're talking about the Veritata Splendor Institute that he established there to, again, form uh, catechists. So they had the, you were saying before the break, that um, you built it around those four emphases that, assuming this is what John Paul II uh, wrote about in. Uh, I will give you shepherds. Right. The four and, emphases yeah. there, yeah. Yeah. You
1: yeah. Know, so, um, what was required? The four pillars are: there's a human formation, spiritual formation, pastoral formation, and um, academic formation. And so, every person had a spiritual director. Every person had a formation advisor. Nice. So, just right. like just like the program that that the way seminaries are run today.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, we had. I don't know. I think the first year, we, there was probably. I think I had about eighty. I taught. I taught in it two sections for four years, oh. just because I wanted to be involved with yeah. with the people, and it was a way for me to have that community around yeah, me. That's uh, great, and and be able to teach the faith. And um, so we had eighty or ninety people in class, and uh, it dropped off a little bit after that. But as we began inviting. Um, getting the word out that but this this isn't just for catechists. This is for anybody who wants to know, uh, learn more about their Catholic faith. And be able to defend it and express it and so on and so forth. So, um, it's been a very positive program for the diocese yeah. or process for the diocese. And I would say probably three fourths of the people that went through the basic certification signed up for the master certification. That's, and <laughs> that's so good it's, sign. um, it's feeding the people, you know, and it's, yeah. it's bringing them to a deeper faith. And love for Jesus Christ. And that's really, isn't that the goal of all of our catechetical programs?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's our life project is conformity to Christ. Yeah. No, that's great. You um, came to Saginaw uh, just in last year, in 2019, July of 2019. And I'm just thinking, Saginaw is in what they call the Rust Belt. Rapid cities, South Dakota, seems like culturally very different than uh, old industrial city like Saginaw. Is the culture very different?
1: You know, in some sense, people are people, right? Right, Um, right. In the the diocese of Rapid City, I had three cultures. You know, I had the regular city culture, I had the Native American culture, and I had the ranching culture. And those are three very distinct cultures in which, you know, to to whom to minister. Um, Here, there's probably two cultures. There's, you know, the city, the urban culture, and the farming culture. Yep. Yeah, and um, so in some sense it's similar. Okay. Um, I, one of the things that surprised me most, Al, when I got it when I got appointed here, and I came out for the announcement, I mean, I really had no idea like where Saginaw was. I knew it was in Michigan. My experience of Michigan is the Detroit Airport, you know, <laughs> right. prior, prior to this time. And and so when I came out in May for the announcement, I was pleasantly surprised to see how rural it is. I'm a rural guy at heart. My yeah. father was a cattle buyer. Oh, really? Um, my uncle was, uh, you know, he was a farmer. And so I've been around farming communities my whole life. I lived in small towns. And so um, I'm not a big city guy. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm a kind of a country guy yeah. um, all the way. And so I was very pleasantly surprised to see how rural the Diceous of Saginaw is. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of differences in cultures, you, you mentioned Native American culture uh, in, in Rapid City. And uh, I read somewhere that you also uh, opened the cause for uh, the uh, Nicholas Black, Black Elk,
1: Nicholas Native Black
0: American Elk. Right. Uh, Lakota, one of the Lakota tribes. And tell me a little bit about him. I, I knew nothing about him.
1: So he was. Um, he died in 1950. So he was obviously born in the 1800s. He was alive during like the Battle of the Little Bighorn oh. and all of this yeah. stuff in, yeah. in in our. Um, Native American history in, in, in South Dakota. Somewhere, I think it was around 1902. Forgive me if it's not the correct date, but he converted to Catholicism. Um, the Jesuits, he like the Jesuits, ministered on the reservations okay. um, in, in South Dakota. And obviously, that's back in the day of, you know, horse and buggy. Yep. And so the only way to get to the different places on the reservation, I mean, you know, so everyone didn't get you know there wasn't a priest coming every every week and so so they began to train catechists and nicholas black elk um um, was one of those one of one of those well-respected natives in their community and he converted to catholicism he was able to find a way to 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 bring the two you know Native american spirituality together with the with 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 the catholic spirituality and um then he spent the rest of his life uh really preaching the gospel yeah. you know to his own people and so you know he's known to have baptized more than 400 people because back then catechists were delegated to do that yeah um and so um he would he lived a life of uh, great virtue um he loved the church he loved the lord and and because of his work as a catechist um his um, his family came to me Back during the time, it was shortly after the, the um, canonization of Saint Kateri Tekawita. Yeah, and so um, his grandson came to me. He was at he was present for the for the canonization. Um, so they somehow put together a petition, and it was signed. I don't know over fifteen hundred signatures, um, asking me to consider um, the cause of beatification and canonization for. For his gr- his grandfather, and so we began the cause. And um, finally, I took about a year and a half to think about it and pray about it before I said yes to it. Sure, sure. We began to move the cause forward, and so the diocesan phase of the process was completed um, in um, late June, just before I came. Just here Just
0: before you came here. Yeah, okay. So, so that's so a so nice. So now sense. it's
1: in Rome, and so now we just wait.
0: Yeah.
1: So I was um, I was a promoter of the cause for that.
0: No, well, that's fascinating. Yeah, it
1: was beautiful. Uh,
0: you often hear reservation life uh, for Native Americans is pretty bad.
1: Is it's true? It is pretty bad. It is bad. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, you know, in 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 that diocese, I had five different reservations, um, and they were in five of the top ten poorest counties in the United States. You know, so there's a lot of poverty. Um, you may drive through the reservation and not necessarily see. Envision poverty that you might see necessarily in third world countries, okay. uh, third world countries. Um, but um, but it's but it's there. But it's, there's also an, an emotional poverty um, that that really keeps the people down. Uh-huh. On the reservations, unemployment is probably about eighty percent. Oh, um, so it's hard for people. You know, there's there's no infrastructure in these small towns on the reservation. You know, for gainful employment, and people. Um, the natives, they're very familial, um, culture. And so it's hard for people to leave the reservation. And, um,
0: they cause were, cause that's breaking up the family. It's
1: breaking up the family. There's also one of some of the challenges uh, that, that you see in, in not just Native American communities, but oftentimes in African American communities, you know, a lot of drug and alcohol yeah. abuse, yeah. um, this just destroying families. You find a lot of grandparents raising, you know, their grandkids and, yeah. and you know, social, um, um, things, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's really, this is a social poverty in their lives and it's hard to, um, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to overcome that. Right. And it's hard right. for somebody like me as, as a white person to come in and say, you know, this is what you need to do. Right. right. Because, because they have, um, there's a, but the natives, oftentimes, there's a big distrust of the white people because they're the ones that put them on the reservation, sure. stole their land, put them on the reservation to yeah. begin with. Yeah, and so and that's um, that whole mindset is is it's, it's um, those are the stories that get passed on down from generation yeah. to generation. So it's really kind of it's it's that's one of the greatest challenges I think. Um, we try the best you know you can help them as best you can, but in the end, you know, as we all know, that we have to want to overcome that ourselves yeah
0: that's right um yeah it becomes very difficult when from the time you're a child you have this this narrative of oppression right. you know you that uh, you've been victimized and
1: uh, and they have been victimized and they have and that no that's what makes, it, that yeah, have it,
0: makes it worse that's that's true no. uh so it's it's so it can be self-reinforcing especially when there's not opportunity right you know that to me is just
1: heartbreaking
0: um so what when you came to Saginaw uh, what first struck you
1: What first struck me was the um the kindness and the openness and the welcome from the people Thanks nice. It was like over the top I was um, I was quite surprised you know when I went to Rapid City I, I experienced that as well and so um I thought like this is yeah, you know, this is as good as it gets. But when I when I came to Saginaw and um, the way I was received and welcomed, it really was unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that's great. It kind
1: of set the tone for um, my comfort level, I guess, as, as being the you know the, the bishop of the diocese yeah. of Saginaw.
0: It makes it easier to work, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: And and I quickly began to see you know the hunger of the people you know for the faith.
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And so when you can feed them. Yeah, you know you're loved. <laughs>
0: yeah, yes. right. Yes. We
1: all love those who feed us. Right? Absolutely, yeah.
0: absolutely. Um, what do you see as special? I mean, you've been there since July. Yeah. You're still You're still getting to know the diocese. I mean, it, it probably takes what a year.
1: Uh, yeah, to... I mean, you know, when I first became bishop eight years ago, the, the, the uh, my predecessor said, you know, just take your time. He said it really takes about five years. Five years for you to kind of really. Getting you know to come in and really be settled and get to know the people you need to know that can help you do the work that you need to do oh. and I I would guess that's them um, that's you know that's not too far off okay you know part of it you know back then was this was the first gig as a bishop so yeah you, yeah like you go in there with like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> At least when I came here, I had some—I had some experience, eight years of experience of being a bishop. Right, so right. It, it wasn't as petrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You no, know, I as can a, imagine as, as the first time. So. Uh,
0: are the things that stand strike you immediately about Saginaw, which are going to require special pastoral attention? Yeah,
1: you know, one of the things I noticed um, um, that was really that was—I mean, I just have to be honest—that was bothersome as I began going out all around the diocese. Um to, to you know making these pastoral visits to the different parishes all across the diocese um I began asking the people i say where are our high school kids and their families? where are our great or middle school kids or junior high kids and their families there's nowhere to be they are nowhere to be found in church, yeah. and so that's really that's that really bothers me sure um because it's basically two generations that are absent from the body of Christ, yeah you know yeah. and that should bother any bishop right you know what we can do about that i'm not sure um but it's you know as i move forward and begin to think about a priority plan for the diocese um certainly evangelization and how do we kind of what are the what are ways in which we can begin to reach out to those folks um and try to find a way to bring them back in in, in into you know an active life in the church
0: yeah yeah. Um,
1: I, I, I don't know. That's it's a mystery. But I don't think you know. I've been told it's this, this is not um, it's not a local problem. It's not a regional problem. It's a national problem. Yeah. You know, this is the way our culture is today. Yeah. And so, how does the uh, how how can the church, wherever she might be and whatever diocese, Saginaw or any place else, you know, be that beacon of light and hope and love and mercy, inviting people back? Um, into into this into the heart of Jesus, yeah. where they might find true life. Right, right. And, um,
0: and I think and I think that, in a way, encountering that abundant life that Christ offers, it's kind of self attesting. Once you taste it, you know, this is where you want to be. Right. You,
1: once you taste it, um, you can never leave. Right. You know, there's a saying. I think I, I saw it on CatholicVote.com dot com or something. This is where I get, but it's always, it has struck me. Um, if people really understood the Eucharist, right? If people really understood yes. the Eucharist, they would never leave the church, right. because their heart wouldn't let them. Right, right.
0: Bishop, thank you so much. Oh, uh, my pleasure. It was uh, great to be with yeah, you. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to seeing you in the future. Hope we can work together on some communications projects.
1: That'd be great. Thanks That'd so be much. Great. We have to, we have to get Jesus out there more and more and more, drawing mm-hmm. people to Him. So. That's your goal. That's my goal. So hopefully we can find a way to move that together.
0: Very good. Bishop Robert Cruz is the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Saginaw, Michigan. I'm Al Cresta.